and uh, I had the privilege of serving for uh, two years, I think, as appointed, or one year and two years as appointed, and then 32 years as elected, and then then you let me step aside, and Brother Gordon Parrish came along to fulfill the role that God has for he's the He's the second worst superintendent Alaska Yukon's ever had. <laughs> I was the worst. <laughs> Brother Parrish, would you come, sir? We love Brother Parrish. We thank God for him. Let's stand and welcome him tonight. Praise God. <clears throat> We've had some good times together. We really have. Appreciate Brother Parrish very much. He's a hard worker, good pastor, and a good superintendent. He really is. I thank God for him. Brother Parrish, I love you. This congregation loves you, and we want to hear from the Lord tonight through your lips, your heart, and your spirit in Jesus' name. Bless you, sir. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For he is great and greatly to be praised. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the everything. It's no wonder Paul said in him we live and move and have our being. He is our life. Can you say hallelujah? Please be seated. Please be seated. I do want to take a moment just to give honor to our, starting with our visiting ministers, uh, Brother Kevin Cox, our WEC representative or district superintendent in Louisiana. Uh, Brother Cox is a good friend, and we've been blessed to have a lot of the same interests, and it's, it's a privilege to have Brother Cox here with us. And I, I do have to admit that we did not ask Brother Cox to come. He asked us if he could come. If he hadn't, we would have asked him to come. We love Brother Cox. Amen. Brother Cox, welcome. So good to have you here tonight. Brother Enzi, our national youth president, our national youth president. Brother Enzi, thank you so much for being here. Amen. Amen. And I, I will tell you that I heard that his message here, I don't know how many preached, but I know that one in particular touched a lot of people. Fabulous message, fabulous preaching. You know, good preaching is just not, not uh, uh, oratory experience. The difference between a great message and a message is one that touches us. You have to be in tune with God with that, and we thank him for being what he is. Brother Sistrunk, I had not met before, but we are so pleased that you are come, that you're going to help us. You're going to help us to fulfill the vision that I'm going to talk about in just a minute tonight. But thank you for coming and being with us this evening. Brother Monty Showalter, Brother Showalter will never know what he has done for me. Way back when I was in Delta Junction, the district paid for Brother and Sister Showalter to come and stay with my wife and I as we were pastoring in Delta Junction. And they were such a blessing to us. We had such a wonderful, wonderful time together. He was like he was tonight, just such a down-to-earth guy. And we, he snow skied out on the skis. And, and he took a lot of pictures back when we had film of Buffalo. You remember that, Brother, Brother Showalter? And we went to change film and opened up the camera and the whole roll went 
like lying on a fishing reel, you know. But anyhow, we appreciate him so, so very much. And I could not, I could not let this opportunity go by without saying something to a man and his wife that have given their lives for the ministry and the work of God in Alaska. And they not only gave it, but they continue to give it to the fullest of their ability. Brother and Sister Blackshear, we honor you tonight, sir. Great man of God, given his life to the work of God. That's all right. They deserve every bit of this. Amen. Please be seated. Eight years ago, I began praying, saying, Lord, give me a vision for our district. Give me a vision for our district. And it was in prayer that I felt the Lord spoke to me. And he began asking questions. He said, what do you want? What do you think the pastors and the churches of Alaska want to accomplish? What do you think they want? And the first thing that came to my mind was, we all want to grow in number. I know that numbers and mentioning numbers in times past has been somewhat taboo. But the truth of the matter is that there's not a pastor living that does not want to grow his church. It's not a matter of mere numbers, but it is lost souls. I mentioned this last time. I'll mention it again. I was praying one time, feeling sorry for myself, felt like I hadn't accomplished anything, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, if the giving of your entire life, if the giving of your entire life was for the saving of one soul from hell's fire, it would be worth it all. At that point in time... I quit reaching for the multitude and I started reaching for people and it made a difference in my soul winning. But I began praying and saying, Lord, what, what do you want? What, give me a vision for our district God. And so he begins dealing with me and speaking with me. And somehow he gave to me what I eventually called the three M's of evangelization, and that I, would, I could work to provide those for our pastors, and that would be the vision from the Lord for us. And so as I prayed, I thought about if I could provide or we could provide somehow for our pastors methods, means, and motivation, we could have great revival. And so seven years ago, I stood behind this pulpit and I presented that mission to you. And through those seven years, we have worked hard at that. And our departments have gotten behind that. And our churches have been blessed with revival. Now, I'm not talking about something from me, but I'm talking that something, something that the Lord wants to do in our midst. We have been blessed with revival. Now, I realize every church has not grown in number, but many of our churches have grown in number. I realize that every church isn't up walking on heaven's streets of gold right now, but there is coming a time if we will be faithful and we will stay faithful to the work of God, that God is going to honor our efforts and our labor and give us revival. 
today in the board meeting, I, we received a, poor, a report from Sister uh, Churchill uh, in, in regard to the ladies' ministries. And I'll start in the middle of the paragraph, but you'll understand before I get through the first sentence. The report that all of you so graciously supplied to the ladies' ministries. Now, this report is going to the ministry, to our ministers' be meeting Friday afternoon. The report that all of you so graciously supplied to the ladies' ministries showed that the Lord is gathering in a harvest from all the years of sowing and tending that you and all the ministers who have labored before us have so faithfully striven toward. We are now, this come from Sister Churchill, we are now experiencing the end time revival for which we have been waiting. We are filled with joy and an air of excitement as we read the reports of the Bible studies, the baptisms, the record attendances, the Holy Ghost infillings, and the desires of so many to be involved in the growth of the kingdom of God. Can you say praise the Lord? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, we're a small district, especially compared to Louisiana, but I feel like that great strides have been made. I realize that numbers do not tell the whole story about church growth. We're also striving for church maturity. We want the kingdom of God to grow, not just in number coming in, but we want people to stay and remain in the kingdom and become ministers and outreach tools in God's hands. Numbers don't tell the whole story, but they do give us some idea of progress that we are making in reaching out to the lost. Within our district, we continue to see growth. For example, the Easter attendance for churches within our Alaska-Yukon district in 2013 was 1,675 souls. In 2014, one year later, it was 1,913. And this year, 2015, we had 2,643. I heard on the radio not long ago that churches are losing people in a flood. The Southern Baptist Convention reported that last year they lost 200,000 members from their church. What I'm trying to say is other churches are going the other direction, but we're moving on. We're having revival. We're going forward. And if every soul is worth the giving of our life, I'm telling you 2,645 souls is a lot of souls that are going to be in heaven that wouldn't be there. The title of my message tonight is a po The Power of a Vision. The Power of a Vision. And of course, my text will be Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If you will look this up, you'll find the context of what is being said there is where there is no direction and purpose from God there's not going to be a proper outcome. In other words, if you're going to take a, a ride somewhere in your car with no direction in mind and no purpose in mind, no place to go to, 
Chances are the first flat tire you have, you're going to fix it. You're going to turn around and go back home and say it's not worth the price. I remember some years ago, a man had a calling of God to come to Alaska, and he had 21 flat tires on the Alaska Highway. But he fixed them 21 times, and he kept on going because he had a purpose in his life. I can tell you about a young man that, did, that had more spirit than he had brains, felt a calling to come to Alaska, didn't have the money, but made plans anyway. Somebody came and gave him a little bit of money. He drove his family all the way to Alaska. When he got here, he had like $30 in his pocket. Thank God for Brother and Sister Carnley. They just had anybody come in and live with them. But I'm telling you, purpose will give you power. Purpose will move you on. If you've got a purpose in your life, you won't care about flat tires. You won't care about obstacles. You keep on going. I'm talking about the power of a vision. Henry Ford did not invent the car. No, he did not invent the assembly line. But Henry Ford had a vision. His vision was to build cars and put them in all of middle America. We're talking about middle income America, average America. He wanted to build a car and make it cheap enough so that every middle income American could afford it. And so he took the car and he took the assembly line and he put them together, cutting the cost of labor. And then he bought materials in volume to get the price of that down. And the rest is history. Everyone in this building probably has a car or will have a car. And it's that way all across the United States of America. He ended up being one of the richest men in the world, all because of a vision. Bill Gates did not invent a computer, nor did he personally build computers. But he had a vision, and that was to have someone build little computers that will do more than you and I will ever know and put them in every home in the modern world. Today in the United States, there are over 225 million personal computers used every day. There are already or will be in 2016 over 2 billion computers used on a daily basis throughout the world. My question to you is this. If a man with a personal vision can if a personal vision can do these things, what can a man accomplish with a vision from God? Come on, where is your faith? Where is your faith? I'm telling you that we have a God-given vision. It's not a man-made vision. It's not just some goal, lofty goal that you and I conjure up. But this is for the kingdom of God. It's for the work of God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Israel had a standoff, imagine if you will. On one side of the valley, you've got Israel, and back behind them somewhere hiding, you've got a king that's supposed to be head and shoulders above everybody, but they've got an impossible situation on their hands. They look across the valley, and there's the Philistines over there. They've got an impossible situation on their hands. Why are they sitting there looking at each other? Because both of them are scared to death of the other one. 
It's an impossible situation. The giant comes and bellows out in the field. He challenges Israel every day for 40 days. Send me a man. Let's just solve this situation. Let's not have uh, mass destruction here. Let's just solve it. You send me a man, and if he beats me, we'll all serve you. And you know the rest of the story. Well, Israel is shaking in their sandals, and Saul is back there hiding somewhere because he's afraid and he does not know what to do. And they're all paralyzed because it's an impossible situation. But there comes a young man who sees something that none of the rest of them see. When the old giant comes out and bellows against David, said, who's this? What's the problem here? And all of a sudden, David sees something in his mind that they can't see. He sees a dead lion, and he sees a dead bear. And when he looks out across that valley, though that giant is bellowing, he sees a dead Goliath laying on the ground who has his head cut off. I'm telling you there's power in a vision. Don't tell me he ran out there scared. Don't tell me he ran out there thinking he might be beat. All he had was a sling in his hand, and he said, whatever God gives me, that's going to take care of the job. You come to me with a sword and a shield, with what you can do, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. We are the people of the name. We are the people of the name. One of the greatest leaders the world has ever known, but man by the name of Moses. Moses, we look at him today and we think of his greatness, but Moses did not feel like a great man. All of his life, he endures. He endured Egypt. He endured the Pharaoh. He endured the wilderness. He endured two million murmuring complainers for 40 years. I'm close. I've pastored for 37 in the same church. Fortunately, I don't have the complainers. I have to be careful. He was an endurer, but it was because he could see something that no one else could see. You see, there was a purpose in his life. He wasn't on vacation. He wasn't on a picnic. It was rough on him. The people turned against him. They didn't like him. They wanted to stone him. But he could see something that they couldn't see. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. For he endured all of that as seeing he who is invisible. Oh, I want to tell you, when it gets tough and whenever it gets difficult, if you just close your eyes to the things around you, get your mind off of the potholes, off of the frustees in the highway, get your mind off of the flat tires, get your mind off of the storms, get your eyes on him. If you'll get a vision of him, he'll carry you through. Every pastor and every saint, you're going to go through things that others have fallen over. And there will be excuse and there will be reason for you to fall. And if you're not looking past the problem, if you're not looking past the problem, if you can't see at the end of the tunnel, you'll fall like all of the rest of them. But if you've got your eyes on him, hell can come against you and you will have the strength and the ability to endure. For there is nothing that can overcome a saint of God when he keeps his hand in the hand of God. 
He's promised us that nothing, no one, not a thing in this world can pluck our hands out of his hand because he's got hold of us. Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have commanded, committed unto him. I want to tell you that if you really take God's vision and accept God's vision, there is no telling what we can do. During two different periods of time at the sanctuary UPC in Fairbanks, we experienced a loss, a moving away of 80-plus people. Two times that happened. One time it started in June and ended in August. 80-some-odd people moved away. Another time it happened over a little bit longer, about a year. 80-some-odd people moved away. Three times since then, we've lost groups of 50 or more. Just recently, we had some people that have been with us for 30 years retire, felt they could not live off of a fixed income in Alaska, and so they moved away. We experienced losing a lot of people. Now, I know some of you are asking, why did they move? Maybe you're the problem. Well, the reason they move, I have some excuses here. Military rotations, employment changes, people that don't like cool weather. And yes, I'll admit it, there's some that don't like the pastor. But I understand that. Sometimes I don't like myself. Like, they're, like, like the Apostle Paul, there are times when we are troubled on every side. Oh, yeah, there are times. It is not a bed of roses. It is a warfare. There are times when we are troubled on every side. Oh, but friend, look beyond that. We are not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed because we have a vision, a purpose in God that's going to take us through all of it. And one of these days, we're going to cross the finish line. I'm trying to say to you today, if you want revival, you have to see what others cannot see. You've got to look out and you've got to see instead of empty pews, you've got to see people sitting at them. You've got to look at an altar when nobody else is in church and see a full altar of people and you've got to stand on the promise of God. Friend, every one of you and I have been called here for the purpose of God right now. We need to fulfill that purpose. I just, when I was Working on this, I noticed a correlation between scriptures. Proverbs 29, 18, and Matthew 28, 19. And when I saw that, it was almost that they were not only connected, but they were somehow intertwined, and they held on to one another. And then when I began to look at it, Math, or Proverbs 29, 18 says that you have to have a vision. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives us his vision. He says, go, teach, baptize, and disciple. Without the vision, you'll never be a soul winner. You'll never be a church builder or successful in any way because without the vision, we perish. 
He says in the Old Testament, you got to have a vision. you got to have a purpose in your life or you're going to fall along the wayside somewhere. It's just simply going to happen. It's as sure as the law of gravity. But I'm giving you a purpose that will sustain you. I'm giving you a purpose that will make you important. I'm giving you a purpose to be a tool in the kingdom of God. So here's my vision for you. Go into all the world, teaching them to observe what I've taught you, baptizing them, And you look at the next verse, and it's talking about making disciples out of them. Friend, that's what the church is all about. That's our vision. That's where we're going. And we got it directly from the mouth of Jesus. There were three men in the book of Daniel that were threatened because of their faith, they stood their ground. They were thrown into the fire. Then the Lord comes to them and delivers them. Through the fire, the Lord reveals himself to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The three are thrown in the fiery furnace, but the king sees a fourth man likened to the Son of God. The king of Babylon declares for all to hear, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king then makes a decree that is sent throughout Babylon. He says, anyone that speaks amiss of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God shall be cut in pieces. Here's the point. Babylon received a revelation of the true God, and a revival took place in Babylon and it was born in the fire. If we're going to reach people, we're going to have to get beyond the four walls of our church. I will ask you the question, how many people in your city, in your village, even know that you are there? They'll never come into your church if they don't know that you are there. And we want such a cushy and blessed life that we run from trials and we run from tribulation, we run from difficulties, and we call to an altar and beg God to get me out of them when the truth of the matter is, is that's how God gets their attention out there. And don't we live in a spiritual Babylon around us? The only way the king took notice of them, not when they prayed, not when things were going good for them, but the king took notice of them when they saw, when he saw God saving them and helping them and and keeping them from harm in the fiery furnace. The Bible said that when he looked in the fire and he saw the fourth that looked like the Son of God, that he was astonished. He had never seen anything like that before. He had never seen anything that looked like the Son of God. But when he saw it, he recognized it. And if you read the book, the rest of the book of Daniel, you will find that it made an impression on his life and it changed his life from that point on to the point that he stood and made a decree throughout all of Babylon. Some of you are in the fire. Some of you are going through a difficult time. And it might just be the catalyst for revival in your life. A good friend, Brother Blackshears, pastored in Madison, Wisconsin for many years, John Grant. John Grant pastored a great church. 
but it had plateaued. And he was concerned about that. And for I don't know how many years, it was plateaued at about the same level. A little fluctuation, but not much. Plateaued at the same level. And then Brother John Grant was diagnosed with cancer. He actually thought that he would die from it. He was so sick that he couldn't go to church. He would lay home in bed thinking that it was going to kill him, that it was going to die. Sometime after that, he was treated and cured of the cancer, if I understand right. And he's able to go back to his church. But something happened during that process that Brother John Grant was in the fire. The church increased fivefold. It was at a time when he thought it was killing him. It was at a time when he thought he was going to die. But because he was going through the fire, God was able to take that and use it and broadcast it out until people came together and the church was increased fivefold. Friend, I'm telling you, I want revival. I want to see what God wants to see in my city. I want to happen what God wants to happen in my city. I'm going to bring this to a close real quickly, but let me say something to you. We in the apostolic movement, we are strong on apostolic doctrine, but it has been said that we are weak on apostolic mission. I believe in holiness. I believe in the oneness of God. I believe in the salvation message. But friend, if we stand in our own little corner and we brag about that and we talk to each other about that and that's all we do, we're not going to accomplish anything. We need to be as the apostolic church strong on apostolic mission. Oh, friend, would you stand with me today? Could I rally you for revival, apostolic revival? We're not going to compare ourselves with those that are going down, but we're going to keep reaching. We're going to keep touching. We're going to keep preaching. We're going to keep a passion for souls. There is a power, there is a power, there is a power in vision. If we could somehow come and get a baptism of that vision that Jesus gave us, we could get a new excitement. Those of us that have been tired because we've been weathered, could get a new excitement, could get a new purpose, could get a new reason to go back home and to reach out again to our city. If we could get that passion of revival, the purpose that God intended for his church, then we would see the same thing and more that happened on the day of Pentecost. After Pentecost, the revival swept. The former rain swept through Jerusalem. Thousands came into the church. It was said 80,000 people came in Jerusalem to the church. I believe the prophecy of the latter rain. That's where you and I are today. The rain just prior to the harvest. And if we'll go out into the fields, plant, we're going to see a harvest come into the church. In my mind, I see the disciples. They're weathered. They're worn. 
They've been out to the village. They've been preaching. They're walking with Jesus, and all they're seeing is persecution. They're seeing people by the multitudes turning away from them. They're not as effective as they'd like to be. And they just kind of pulled away. And as Jesus gathers around them and he's talking to them, I can see them in my mind's eye with their heads just dropped down to the ground. They're just looking down. Then Jesus speaks to them and says something so important. He says, lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. Look on the fields. Look at the world around you. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. But lift up your heads. Quit looking down. Quit being depressed. Lift up your heads and look on the fields for they are white and ready to harvest. This is the hour that we live in. The field is not burnt over. Alaska and the Yukon Territory don't even know that you and I are here. They don't know that our churches are where they are. But, friend, we're going to go home. We're going to rally at this meeting tonight, and we're going to go home and have revival. We're going to reach out to our neighbors like we were new converts. We're going to reach out to the people we work with like we just were baptized with the Holy Ghost. And God is going to give us revival and an increase. Would you step out of where you're standing right now and make your way to this altar? Would you come and make a commitment to revival? Would you dare to reach out and say, Lord, give me this vision. Brand it on my mind. Put it into my heart. Give me this vision, God, that I can be used of you. Let's reach out to him right now. Lord, baptize us tonight, God. Baptize us afresh tonight, God. We're your church, Lord. We're your people, God. We're your ambassadors to the Alaska Yukon District, Lord. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you'll put a special anointing on every pastor of our district, God. That you'll bless each one, Lord, with a new burden for souls. That you'll bless us, God, afresh with a vision, Lord God. Touch us, Lord God, and give us a purpose in our life that will override every obstacle, everything that would come our way and hinder us, God, from your work. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you'll touch us tonight and use us for your glory. Baptize us, O oh God. Baptize us with a boldness, Lord. Baptize us with a boldness, O oh God. Oh, Jesus, give us boldness, Lord. Give us boldness, God. Help us, Lord. Help us to be a light that would shine in that dark place. Yes, Jesus, in your name. Yes, Jesus, in your name. That's it. Come on. Make that commitment. Don't be afraid to make a commitment. Make that commitment. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to leave it here at the altar, but I'm going to take it home with me. By God's help, I'm going to do it. 
Lord, receive our commitment tonight. Lord, all we can do is give ourselves to you. We're so limited, Lord. We're so finite. But God, you can do all things through us, Lord. Reach my family. Reach my co-workers. Reach my fellow students, God. God, help me, Lord, to touch that one that you brought my way, that one that you've laid on my doorstep. Use me, oh God. Use me, oh God. Oh, use me, oh God. Oh, use me, oh God. 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 Use me, oh